Hi, this is David Morris from SurviveInPlace.com, and I want to welcome you to this week's Urban Survival Newsletter and Podcast. And it is June 4th, 2010. And this week's newsletter and broadcast is brought to you by SurviveInPlace.com and Jeff Anderson's new home invasion course at SurviveInPlace.com forward slash homeinvasion.php. This week I'm going to tell you a little bit about Al-Shabaab, the Somali terrorist organization that Homeland Security released a warning about last week, and how their presence in the U.S. could affect you in the coming days, weeks, and months. We were enjoying a few days in the hill country of Texas last week, visiting friends and family, when we heard a warning specifically about Somali terrorists attempting to cross the border from Mexico into the United States. I've followed Somalia since Mark Bowden released his incredible book, Black Hawk Down, in 1999. If you haven't read it, I highly suggest it. It's about the um, uh, Black Hawk helicopters being shot down in Mogadishu and um, how we were basically abandoned by the UN. And um, it, anyhow, it's a, it's a great book. It's a great book on military history. It's a great thriller, and it's a... Um, it's an exciting book, and it'll make you proud. Well, since then, in addition to following the ever-changing political battle over there, I've had the privilege of talking with one of the Delta operators who fought in Mogadishu on that historic day. And as chance would have it, a very good friend of mine, actually one of my very best friends, also wrote a lengthy paper for the Command and General Staff College on what went right and what went wrong in Somalia up to and following the incident. We spent many hours talking, mostly me asking questions and him talking before, during, and after his writing. A lot has happened in Somalia since then. I'll never claim to be an expert on Somalia. It's, it's just it's an amazingly diverse and complicated situation. But I can give you a quick overview of how this Somali terrorist group, Al-Shabaab, affects us today. And as a note, I'm, I may or may not be pronouncing that right. I um, don't speak Arabic real well. Actually, I don't speak it at all. But um, So let me get back to what I was saying. In one sense, Al-Shabaab is much like other jihad terrorist groups. Like Al-Qaeda, they want to convert, tax, or kill all non-believers. They believe in Sharia law, and that includes the public execution of rape victims to, rever- to preserve family honor, the whipping of women who... Pres- who I'm sorry... Uh, the whipping of women who wear bras and many, many other just things that we would consider despicable. They also focus on young, impressionable men and convince them that killing, torturing, and suicide bombings are what they're supposed to do with their lives. In Somalia, they're considered an insurgent force. They're, in other words, they're actively trying to destabilize and overthrow the Somali government. They use intimidation and violence, including bombings, shootings, assassinations of civilians, soldiers, politicians, socialites, journalists, and even foreign aid workers. In fact, they've gone so far as to declare war on aid organizations distributing food and medicine in Somalia. These aren't exactly model citizens. So you're probably wondering what the U.S. connection is. Well, there's a few things happening. First, let's look at the Somali refugees in America. Right now, the best guess is that there are approximately 200,000 Somalis in the United States. Many are here as refugees. They fled Somalia for the promise of liberty 
and the rule of law here in the United States. They pass background checks, and it could have been with real or false credentials, and they want to be here. Most are Muslim, some are Christian, and some are other religions or no religion at all. When they get here, they get 90 days of aid and welfare, which in one sense is great because they um, are coming from a war-torn land where they may or may not get killed for no reason at all. But during that 90 days, they have to find employment, start learning English, and start melding into the American society. And it's not much time at all, and the deck is really stacked against them. And even so, many of them have done quite well. Um, One one of the great things is uh, they can provide services to other Somalis. And um, if you've got a Somali business owner and who knows English and can deal with uh, the English-speaking customers, they can hire Somalis to work for them. So there are several who have done well. But um, the problem is Somali Muslims tend to be more isolated than other Muslim immigrant communities in the U.S. And as a result, they have the highest unemployment rates of any East African group in the United States. Well, what's that mean? Uh, Unfortunately, what it means is that while many Somalis become productive citizens, many also resort to crime to survive. They come from a culture of violence and corruption and really don't have any reason to trust authorities. When Somalis are attacked by other Somalis, they testify through a Somali translator who oftentimes lives in the same HUD housing area where the victim lives. They know that if they narc on the Somali that attacked them, they'll have hell to pay when the translator talks about their day at work. And so many Somali-on-Somali crimes go unpunished. Other Somalis have gone so far as to return to their homeland or the homeland of their parents. And it's unfortunate that they do this. Um, a lot of the kids, they grow up and uh, their parents are trying to teach them Somali customs. They're living in the United States. They've got the language pro- issues. They've got, they see the problems that their parents have in the United States because they don't speak English. And they get frustrated and bitter, and so they go back to Somalia to fight. In fact, in 2009, one Somali youth from Seattle and one from Minneapolis went to Somalia to be suicide bombers. Uh, They were suicide bombers. They died. Uh, We know that several others have returned to Somalia to practice jihad, and different sources claim different numbers, and we really don't know how many. We just know that they are going over. So should you watch out for all Somalis? Absolutely not. They're just people. Some are good and some are bad. Some very nice Somalis may be more intense than what you're used to in dealing with native-born Americans because of what they've lived through, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. So that gets to the Homeland Security warning. Here's where it gets interesting. Al-Shabaab has been releasing videos for the last year that are either recorded in English by native English speakers or recorded in Somali with English subtitles. In other words, they're making them for an English audience. Over the last couple of years, Al-Shabaab has been getting new recruits not only from Somalia, but from the Middle East and across Eastern Africa. The lighter-skinned recruits are going to northern Mexican towns to learn Spanish and Mexican customs so that they can appear to be Mexicans in the U.S. 
Of course, this deception really only works with gringos, but in many cases, that's enough. When they're ready to come into the U.S., they get fake IDs, take advantage of our open southern border, and simply come across with drug smugglers. How many? Well, according to the recently declassified Homeland Security documents, hundreds. That's not real specific, but um, to give you an idea, one smuggler from Virginia named Anthony Joseph Tracy helped 270 Somalis at a price of $30,000 apiece sneak into the country. That's a lot of money for someone who's coming in for an innocent job. Uh, At $30,000 a head, it's pretty safe to assume that they are coming in for not legal purposes. Either that or they're business owners and entrepreneurs who don't want to go through the immigration process. But um, I really don't think that's happening too often. So once they're in, they're presumably setting up sleeper cells across the U.S. and trying to recruit frustrated Somali refugees into al-Shabaab. So you might be wondering why I'm mentioning all this. Well, it's because al-Shabaab isn't the only terrorist organization doing this. There's multiple terrorist cells operating in the U.S. As I show in the survivingplace.com course, some are operating openly and some are operating covertly. All of them have stated their hatred of the U.S. and have the ability to do massive attacks that can make September 11th look like a day in the park. Infrastructure attacks on banking and the Internet, on municipal water systems, or on the east and west electrical grids are incidents that are openly talked about on radical websites and that could happen at any minute. So what do you do about it? Well, in short, get your stuff together. Buy extra food, enough to last a year or more if possible. Store up water and fuel, and get a plan in place to ride out disaster right where you currently live. Even if you live in an urban area and have relatives or a rural location that might be better on paper. Why? Well, because there's no guarantee that you'll be able to travel anywhere for quite a while if any one of these attacks happen. Be smart with your preparations. Don't go blabbing about them to all your friends and relatives unless you want your year of provisions to run out in a week because they all come to you when things go south. And learn how to defend yourself with empty hands, weapons, and firearms. And try and figure out how many prescription medications you can find alternatives for. Some just don't have alternatives, fortunately. I've got friends with um, type 1 diabetes and friends who have had organ transplants. And they don't have alternatives. But um, for a lot of problems, even type 2 diabetes, there are alternatives. And learn trauma and medical skills. Learn how to take care of yourself and take care of your family if you have an accident so that um, you won't be a drain on first responders and so that you can help out in your neighborhood. And finally, create a well-thought-out written plan so that your family can run with it if something happens to you. You can do it on your own, or you can cut hundreds of hours off the process by going through my surviveinplace.com urban survival course. Over 2,500 have gone through before you, and many have said it's the best survival book or course that they've ever read. And again, you can get to it by going to surviveinplace.com. So that's it for this week. Um, Got some great stuff coming up on uh, negotiating after a disaster. 
um, specifically negotiating and barter situations. And I think you'll really enjoy it. So um, until next week, uh, keep preparing. Keep practicing your skills. Keep uh, increasing your stores. And um, we'll talk to you soon.